Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Father God, thank you for all of those voices saying the prayer that you taught us to pray. It reminds me that your voices of your faithful people are everywhere, all over this world, and that you are in our stories and meeting us exactly where we are this morning. Father, if we came in here strong and joyful, or if we barely got here today, you are in the midst of our story, you see us, and you are enough for us. Lord, would you open up our hearts and our minds to your word this morning, to the stories of your faithful people that came before us, and help us to see ourselves and their stories in the truth of your word. Lord, would you do that? We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you live long enough in this world, something will pierce your soul. Something about the brokenness of the world, a broken person in the world, a tragedy in this world, something will pierce your soul. When I was a young minister in my 20s, I got a call one day, and the woman on the other end of the line was sobbing so desperately that at first I couldn't make out who it was. And as soon as I realized, I jumped in my, jumped in my car and said, I'll be there in a minute. I walked in her back door, and I just enveloped her in a hug and held her for a while while she cried. And then she said, Hallie, he's having an affair. And we sat for a few minutes, and I waited. She said, he's having an affair with another man. And a darkness just kind of sat in the room as we sat in the fact that a marriage was unraveling that a family was unraveling. They tried to go to counseling. She wanted to make it work. He just couldn't, wouldn't. There was a brokenness that wouldn't repair. And so a woman who had not worked in 15, 20 years as she raised two young boys, put them in a station wagon and drove out of the little town, drove away from the home that she had known, the only home that she had known, it, with this family and drove to the town where her grandparents grew up. Her parents sold their house and, and met her there and she began to rebuild a life. And, and the boys were in school and things were starting to get pretty settled five, six years in. And then one night she and her two boys and a friend were watching a comedy show and they were laughing really hard and she took a deep breath and had a heart attack and passed away. Now, I walked with that family then, and I'm still walking with that family now. And the reason I share that story with you is to be completely honest that part of the family got stuck there. Part of them got stuck in that soul-piercing pain. They got stuck in the bitterness. They got stuck in the unforgiveness. They got stuck in the questions, and they're still stuck. And the result of that is that some more marriages have unraveled, and, and that kids have gone astray. But part of the family didn't get stuck. 
It wasn't because they were stronger. It wasn't because they didn't feel the soul pain any more deeply as the others did. It was because they, they went to God, crumbled, and said, I need you to give me something that I cannot manufacture in myself. I'm at the end of me, God, and I realize that I've been trying to lead this thing, and it's not working, and so I need you. I need you, God, to give me something I cannot manufacture in myself. And they took a step towards surrender. They took a step towards trust. Friends, when life pierces our soul, that is essentially the choice that we have to make. Will I get stuck here? Will I just surrender to the fact that this is my life, this is the end? Or will I say, there is a God, I believe, I think, I might hope there's a God that has more than I do, that will meet me at the end of myself, that will give me what I cannot manufacture in me. That is the story of the woman that we're looking at this morning, the choice she had to make. That was her choice. I want to look together at her choice and see if we can see ourselves in her story. This is found in 1 Samuel. It's the story of a woman named Hannah. It begins like this, 1 Samuel 1, 1 and 2. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now, when I was studying for this passage, I looked up at my husband, Bill, and I was like, Bill, I didn't remember that Elkanah had two wives. And he went, whew. I was like, I was like, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So there you have it. There you have it. The guy has two wives, okay? You, trouble has already started. There's Hannah and there's Penina. And you might say to yourself, why, why did some of these patriarchs have two wives? Well, Jesus actually answered that. It was interesting. These, these people, when Jesus walked the earth, they were having a debate. And they were trying to trick Jesus and bring him into this debate about marriage in his culture. And they wanted him to decide somewhere. And Jesus, they said, hey, why did Moses allow these guys to have more than one wife? And Jesus said, you know what? God allowed it for a while, Jesus taught, because of the hardness of heart of the people. There was a cultural ignorance. It leaves me wondering what cultural thing I'm putting on top of what God really wants today. So we have two wives, and as you can imagine, there is a cat fight getting ready to happen, and that is exactly what goes down. Penina has a child, and then another, and then another, and then another. Hannah has none. And I want you to really think with me for a minute about the reality of what this was like with Hannah. If you've ever been in a home where there was a lot of small young children, there's chaos, there's noise of a big family. The more toddlers you have, the more babies you have, the more mouths there are to feed, so the more meal prep you do, the more laundry you do, the more it feels like the floor is moving under you. But then there's the joy, right? There's like the laughter of a little kid. There's the wonder 
of a little kid. There's Elkanah picking up Penina's children, his children, and holding them and seeing joy in them and being proud of them. All Hannah feels in this home is loneliness and failure. See, their culture had told her, you are successful if you give your husband Elkanah an heir, not just an heir, but a male heir to carry on his name and to take care of you in your old age. That is your purpose. That makes you successful in this life. She would have felt like a failure, maybe even a spiritual failure, because God, have I done something that you wouldn't let me become the woman that you created me to be? But there was one time a year that her loneliness and despair was at its height. See, her faithful husband, Elkanah, would take their family every year from the hill country where they lived in Ephraim to Shiloh. And you say, why Shiloh? Well, Shiloh was the city where after the Israelites settled in the promised land, the tabernacle of God was in Shiloh. So he's taking his whole family every year to go and to sacrifice and to pray to the holy God of Israel. See, the tabernacle was this beautiful thing that God did to say, I want to be with my people. A year after the Israelites left Egypt as captives, they were freed. God said, I want you to build, he said to his people, he said to Moses who told the people, I want you to build a moving temple like a portable temple that as you move through the desert and I lead you by cloud by day and fire by night, this will be a place where I, the holy God of the universe, will meet with my people. And so the people were instructed, instructed exactly how to build this tabernacle where God would meet with his people. And, and listen to what God says in Exodus 29. Then I the holy God of the universe, will dwell among the Israelites and I will be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. Friends, the tabernacle is a beautiful sign that God wants. Then the temple, now the church, now God dwelling in us. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you. The whole tabernacle pointed towards Jesus. There was one gate that you could go in. It pointed towards the west, the exact opposite of the way the sun worshipers who prayed to the east. There was one gate. Just like when Jesus walked on the earth, he said this in John 10, 9. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And, and the priests, when the family would come in, they, they would have a lamb, a perfect lamb, and the, and the father would lay his hand on this lamb. And when the priest slit the throat of the lamb, it was the father saying for his family, Lord, may this innocent an animal, may his blood be a covering for our sin, for our brokenness. Would you, God, would you forgive us? It was a temporary forgiveness, and the blood covered the brokenness and sin of this family. Just like when Jesus surrendered to death on the cross, his blood, not temporarily, but forever, covers the brokenness of us. 
covers our sin. The tabernacle was pointing towards Jesus. I will go so far as to send my son to walk among you to say, I long to be with my people. Well, as Elkanah, I want you to imagine this scene, Elkanah and Penina and Hannah and all of Penina and Elkanah's children are walking across the desert to Shiloh. And the older kids are like saying to the younger kids, it's so cool. You're going to love this. Like dad's going to talk to the priest. And then we have the sacrifice. And then we're, we're asking for forgiveness. And then we give thanksgiving to God. It's amazing. And they're telling them. And there's like this excitement and this energy about it. And Hannah feels none of that. Not a part of the family. Not joy. Not excitement. Just loneliness and despair it's heightened she wants to be in God's holy place but she wants to be there for the same reason she was last year and the year before the year before to pray the same prayer that she's prayed for years listen to these next verses that tell us what happened verses four through eight whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her. Her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and she couldn't eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? So friends, what's going on here? You have Penina literally sitting at this feast. After the sacrifice, the feast was full of joy. I mean, there was the, the um, they would give part of the lamb's meat to the priests as payment for their services, and then the family would feast. There was joy, there was thanksgiving, there was laughter, there was wine, and, and Penina's looking around at Hannah in her misery, and she's like, Hannah, look what the Lord has done for me. Look at all this that I've given Elkanah. What you got, Hannah? She's devastated. Have you ever been at a table where one person was miserable? Everybody else is okay, right? But that one person, their misery just, you can, it's palpable. You can feel it. I, I, I hope the children missed it, but the, the rest of it's palpable. And then you have her sweet husband, Elkanah. He's trying. He is. He basically says, hey, baby, why are you sad? Here's a steak. You got me. <laughs> okay, good talk. Good talk. He's trying. But friends, here's the beauty of the Lord that we worship. God is faithfully at work. He sees Hannah's anguish. Hannah gets up from the table. I wonder if anybody even noticed. And she can't eat. The scriptures say that she's in deep anguish. Friends, this is like, this is soul pain. Every part of her hurts. It says that she goes off to the side to pray to the Lord. And now it says she's literally on her face 
weeping, pouring out her soul to the Lord. And she prays this prayer, Lord Almighty, if you will look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. That was a Nazarite prayer. And as she is literally on her face, weeping and crying out to the Lord, there's no more words coming out. It's just her mouth moving because this is groanings. This is soul pain that she's praying to the Lord. And Eli, the priest, sees her. Now, in all fairness to him, some of these feasts could get a little out of control. And he looks over at her and her lips are moving. There's no words. Broken woman on her face. And he says this, how long are you gonna stay drunk? Put away your wine. He looks at her and he says, really woman? Really, you're gonna come to the house of the Lord and you're gonna get drunk and you're gonna, you're gonna put that before the holy almighty God, really? Friends, this is where the height of her pain meets the height of prayer. She is at the height of pain now. She's childless, she's lonely, she's in a family, but not part of that family. Years of unanswered prayer, provoked and emotionally abused by Penina year after year after year, misunderstood by her well-intending husband, and now misunderstood by the high priest. It's the height of, height of pain, soul pain. But then she says this to Eli, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Friends, what we see in that moment is a woman at the very height of soul pain who said, I have nowhere to go except to a Lord that can give me what I cannot manufacture on my own, that will meet me at the end of myself self, and begin to carry me in the height of my pain. And finally, Eli has eyes to see her and so he prays over her. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Friends, in Hannah's story, we have the privilege that God allowed us to see this woman's journey because it starts in just anguish. Her story starts in anguish. There's no words. There's no hope. There's no future. She's like, I'm stuck. This is all there is. This is just going to be my story. I'm done. This is just, this will be my story. But then she starts to cry out to the Lord. She begins to hope just a little bit. She falls back in anguish, hope a little bit, picks it up a little bit. God, might you meet me in this? Might you remember me? Might, might you not give up on me? And she moves towards now brokenness. She's not whole. It's not easy. She needs help. She needs more of God and less of her, but she's moving. She's stepping from anguish to brokenness. And then that night, after year after year after year, they've been to make this sacrifice. That night as she was laying on her face before the Lord, she finally surrenders it. God, this is what I still want. I'm asking you for a son, and I will dedicate him to you for the, for the rest of his life. But if you say no, I surrender it. I'm laying it down, and I'm asking you to help me get unstuck. 
Friends, I think there's two things that are so huge to see in Hannah's example to us. The first is this. She moves forward and surrender before there's an answer. Okay, she doesn't wait until God answers her. Did I get a son? Oh, good. Okay, thank you, God. Now everything's good. And so we can move on together. Thank you. No. She's honest with the Lord. Here's what I still want, God. Here's what my soul still desires. But I'm laying that down. I'm asking you to help me move on. She surrenders before she has an answer. She surrenders to the heart and the wisdom of God. And then she asks him, God, give me what I cannot manufacture on my own. I'm at the end of myself. Give me more of you. Friends, when we choose, when we make that choice like Hannah did, like some of that family did that I told you about, when we choose to not stay stuck, but to, even if we're hobbling, even if we're, we're still broken and still questioning, take a step to move forward in the Lord. We're doing two things. We're saying, I believe two things. We're saying, one, I believe God sees me. Even though I feel alone and I feel like a failure and I feel stuck and I feel like I may never get past this, we're choosing to say, God doesn't see this. God sees me. 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 Again and again and again, God said that. Build a tabernacle. I want to dwell among you. Build a temple. I want to dwell among you. I'll send my son. And when he goes back to heaven, those that believe in me will now, you are now the holy temple of God. I want to be with you in your story. The second thing we're, we're saying we believe if we choose to get unstuck is this. Despite tragedies and human evil, and there will be both in this life, there will be tragedy and there will be human evil. Despite those things, God is working out his promises in human history. God wins. God wins, friends. What has Jesus been doing since he went back up to heaven? Is he sitting on the right hand of God the Father just waiting for us to get there? No, he's building his kingdom. Jesus is actively building his kingdom. And those of us that follow him have the privilege of somehow, by some miraculous way, being involved in that. God is working out his purposes in human history. And he wins over tragedies and human evil. And when we choose to get unstuck, we're saying, I'm putting my faith in that. I want to zoom way out and tell you something Hannah couldn't see yet. When she surrendered that night. She couldn't see this yet. She couldn't see that a year later, God would give her a son. And she and Elkanah would name that son Samuel. And then she would nurse that boy for probably three years. And as Elkanah and Penina and all those children for those next couple years went back to the temple, she said, Elkanah, let me wait until I wean him. And then I'll take him to the Lord. And you know what? That faithful husband, he had the right by law to say, no, you're not keeping that vow. We're not giving that boy up. He let his wife honor the vow to a holy God. When Samuel was probably about three, she led him back to the tabernacle. She found Eli. She said, here's the son. Here's the promise. Here's the blessing that God gave me. I have three boys. 
I cannot imagine the faithfulness of what she did. And every year it said that she'd bring him a new robe when she came back with Elkanai. She'd bring him a new robe as he grew. And God gave her other children. But I want you to know who Samuel is because I want you to see God working out his purposes in human history. He, Samuel is the one that would call out the first king of God's people because he was cowardice and he wasn't living up to a holy God. And Samuel is the one that would then anoint King David. King David is the one that took all of the tribes and he brought them together and united them as a kingdom. God's people. King David is the one that, that took the, the inner beauty of the temple and he put it in Jerusalem. King David made his temple of God in Jerusalem. He didn't build it. He took the anointed things of God and put it there. Samuel anointed King David. Samuel was a good and righteous spiritual leader that Israel needed. God was working out his purposes. Hannah couldn't see it yet. One last thought, friends. I think of all those things, the most important thing was what was happening in Hannah's heart when she surrendered. Here's, here's what can happen in our heart when we don't get stuck, but we wobble forward in God's power. Hannah is, you see this prayer that, she, you see this in the prayer that she prays in, in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah has a deeper wonder of God because he met her at the end of herself. She has a deeper wonder of God. Listen to her prayers at the beginning of her prayer in, in 1 Samuel 2. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord, my horn is lifted high. When the animal's horn is lifted high, its head goes up. She's saying, because of the Lord, because he gave me what I did not have in myself, I can now lift my head again. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one like the holy God. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Her, her heart is, has a deeper wonder of our God. But she also knows this. Hannah is clear that God opposes the proud and he hears the cries of his humble people. Friends, whether you know God this morning or you're still consider considering him, know this. Our God opposes the proud. He sees the heart of all people. Listen to these words. Do not keep talking so proudly. Do not let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. And by him deeds are weighed. Hannah is clear now that God opposes the hearts of the proud. But he hears the cries. The soul cries of the humble. And finally this. This is my favorite. God is Hannah is clear that God will fight for his faithful ones. Hannah is clear, and, and I hope her story makes it clear to us again this morning. I hope it renews for us again this morning. God is fighting for his faithful ones in this world. He's fighting for you. 
He will fight for us against the tragedies and the evils of this world. Listen to Hannah's words. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken, but the Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. When Hannah prayed that prayer about kings, she's thinking earthly kings. She's thinking Saul. She's thinking David, who will be the king of God's people. Guess what that was foreshadowing? The king, the Messiah king, the one perfect holy lamb that would come and walk among us, the son of God that would surrender on the cross, that his blood might pour out and not once, not every year, but once and for all cover our brokenness, once and for all reconnect us to a holy God. She was foreshadowing Jesus, the king. Friends, maybe some of you are at a place this morning where you're just Either, you're either stuck in life or there's a piece of your life that's still stuck. And maybe you need, like I have had to do, to say, God, I'm at the end of me. This piece or this moment in my life, I'm stuck. I cannot manufacture what I need to move on, but I want to move on. I want to believe that you see me. I want to believe that you, in spite of tragedies and human evil, are working out your purposes. I want to believe that you are fighting for me. If that's you this morning, I want to offer an ancient prayer in some form of this that you might pray in your heart. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, You have put your life into our hands. Now we, I put my life into yours. Take us, renew us and remake us. What we have been is past. What we shall be through you still awaits us. Lead us on. Take us with you. Amen.